everyone, it's Sam. I uh, just wanted to drop a little special episode. Our normal big show uh, is going to be coming out on Friday. We had some scheduling stuff this week with our with our guest. Uh, so on Friday, we're going to we're gonna put that out. But in the meantime, I thought, well, it's, it's Wednesday. Why not put this one out? So if you're listening uh, later, uh, you'll, you'll understand why we had two episodes this week. And I've, I've been thinking about doing something like this anyway throughout the week um, or just you know kind of randomly special for uh, the feed here so let me know what you think uh, this is actually a sermon uh, I preached on Sunday so it's just a snippet from that uh, it's about 15 minutes long but I've had a couple of people reach out uh, and, and say you know hey is, is there audio did you post up audio or are you going to post up audio from that sermon that you did you know I'd love to hear it uh, so I thought well why not just put it here on the podcast feed so we're going to be doing more of that along the way of just these little, you know, 15, 20 minute bonus episodes. Maybe if there's kind of like breaking news or, or you know, some kind of um, little snippet of, of audio, you know, wanted to include uh, might be a good little place to put it. Uh, this one is about my sermon on Sunday at Garden of Grace, United Church of Christ uh, here in Columbia, South Carolina. And I was preaching on uh, the Gospel of John, chapter one, not the whole thing, but I think it's verse 29 through 42, or 19 through, yeah, 29 through 42 or 19 through 42. Anyway, link down in the show notes. But uh, the whole point of of my sermon was kind of about sin and, and our understanding of sin in, in a in a non-personal, non-trivial matter. So in, in the Gospel of John, you know, Jesus kind of becomes really closely associated with the Passover lamb, right? He's, he's, uh, He's crucified and executed on Passover, and he becomes kind of the stand-in for the idea of, of taking on the sins of the world. You know, a lamb of God that comes and takes on the sins of the world, have mercy upon me, you know, that that type of thing. And I, I'm not a Calvinist by any means. Um, my, my friends on Twitter know that. But I do find that there's a, a very deep, complex theological... Uh, field there for, for us to really get into that isn't just, well, we live in a foreign, or in a, I'm sorry, in a, in a fallen state, or in a foreign state. We live in a fallen state, and therefore we need Jesus to expiate, you know, be there to, to satisfy the, the blood sacrifice, and Jesus died on the cross so that we could have everlasting life, because I cut off this guy in traffic on Tuesday, and I feel really bad about that sin, but I promise not to do that again. Thank you, Jesus. Like, that's kind of our modern Protestant, at least in our Baptist world, a lot of our Reformed Baptist uh, <laughs> brothers and sisters and, and folks will um, cling to that idea. But I, I think there's a lot more there when it comes to sin. So John the Baptist is, is who I was preaching about. And, and this, this little passage is John the Baptist telling his disciples that Jesus is the Lamb of God and sort of pointing to Jesus almost like Jesus's signs do in the gospel of john so in the gospel of john his the miracles of jesus are more like signs that point to who jesus is and that's the same kind of thing that john the baptist functions as is as uh here uh in in john it's confusing because it's john and john right but the gospel of john paints john the baptist in a as a character in a much different context than what we get in matthew mark and luke I mean, not only, you know, in, in, in Mark, you know, we have the baptism of Jesus by John at the very beginning of the gospel, Matthew and Luke. John's there, you know, he, this, the doves 
descending. It's a little different. And John, Jesus basically is like baptizing himself. And John just kind of says, yeah, over yonder, that, that's where you got to go. And then John tells his disciples in this passage, uh, look, there's that Jesus guy I was telling you about. He's the, he's the one. He's the Messiah. You got to go follow him. He's the Christ, as it says. So the, the Gospel of John has a much higher Christology, right, than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's also the last Gospel uh, historically that gets written. And it's the last of the four that's included in the New Testament. Um, but even uh, when, it, when it comes to calling John the Baptist Elijah, you know, like in, in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist, again, not John that wrote the Gospel, or not that John wrote the, anyway, uh, John the Baptist says, no, I'm not Elijah, which is really kind of shocking, if you will. So I, I think it's really interesting to point these things out, just to the development of, of theology and, and historicity, even, uh, there at, at the end of the first century, as the Gospel of John is being written compared to what we get in Mark or even in, in Luke-Acts or in Paul, which, you know, which is kind of our, our earliest writings in the New Testament. Don't at me. Uh, I, I do like James. I think James is pretty early. I think James is a lot earlier than we give James credit for, but I'm, I'm also a fan of Jewish Christianity. Anyway, um, so this is kind of about that and why and how the character of John can kind of change throughout the four Gospels. And I... I make some connections to things like our nativity scenes, right, where we have wise people or wise men and the shepherds both at the nativity. And unless you're putting Matthew and Luke together, that you can't do that. You know, the, the, the wise people don't get there until Jesus is a toddler. You know, Jesus is, is like three or four years old at that point. And they're still, they're still hanging out, uh, not in Nazareth yet. So you, you can't just put the shepherds and the wise people there together. It doesn't doesn't work theologically unless you want to conflate the two. So we, we do a lot of conflating. And I connect all that with a nice bow uh, to one of my personal favorite artists, David Bowie, um, and, and how David Bowie sort of changed my life as a young teenager. And I talk a lot about how I came to the church, and David Bowie was, was one of those artists that I really looked up to um, because he was constantly playing with identity in a creative fashion you know so we go from David Bowie the early 70s to Ziggy Stardust to the, the Diamond Dogs era to the Thin White Duke to the Berlin Trilogy to the Just Dance MTV era to Labyrinth and he's all of a sudden a Goblin King and, you know and it just keeps changing in the mid 90s he has his midlife crisis and he grows a goatee and he, you know dyes his hair orange and starts starts playing with nine inch nails and then he kind of goes back to his roots but even in his last album, he's got some really cryptic stuff, and he kind of was taking on taking on this new kind of a Lazarus persona. So I, I love I love that, and I love the idea of using the thought technology of identity as a way to explore the world and and amplify what's going on around you. So I'm, I'm probably talking for longer than the actual sermon is here, but just as a little lead-in, this is very important to me, and, and I, I was I was uh, excited to be able to, to step in and, and give this sermon, because it's one of those passages I like to use to connect to my own thought technologies, if you will. So uh, we'll be back on Friday. We've got a giveaway this week, so tune in on Friday. Uh, that'll be dropping Friday mid-morning, early afternoon, something like that. And uh, yeah, if you have any questions about this sermon, this will show, about 15 minutes long, uh, feel free to reach out send me a message uh, all the links to stuff including the passage mentioned are in the show notes down below 
and I'll be talking to you on Friday. All right, so I'm a, I'm a big David Bowie fan. John's going to laugh at this. Um, our, our passage this morning, coincidentally enough, on the same day that Marianne said, you know, I've, I've got this review thing coming up. So can you, can you preach so it's not awkward? Because I don't want to remind people you know, how terrible of a preacher I am before I'm seeing <laughs> she's shaking her head at me already. Um, the passage this morning that we're going we're gonna to read from John, our, our gospel passage, starts with the next day. Oh, go back. So the next day uh, is a really important kind of, it's almost like a mantra for me. It's one of those things I keep using and reflecting on as I go through my life. Um, so when I was... I don't know, 10 years old? I got something at school, oddly enough, that kind of changed my life. <clears throat> and it was a little New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs. You've all seen these. They're from the Gideons, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, everyone knows Gideon's Bibles. If you're in the hotel or if you listen to, to the Beatles, there's a song about Gideon's Bible, Rocky Raccoon. So, September 13th, 1988, I was 10 years old. I just turned 10. And you can see my terrible cursive. I think Mary Hudson's is better than mine. Uh, and, and this little Bible has stayed with me. I keep it in my little everyday bag, because you all know I'm a prepper, and I keep my little gear bag with me at all times. So this little Bible is kind of my, my little solace. It's my little, little thing I keep with me. Because when I was 10 years old, we didn't go to church. My, my family didn't go to church. You know, my parents are watching on the live stream, so I'll try not to embarrass them too much. But we, um, we were... Uh, that family in town that that's, you know, we didn't go and then the, that was fine but I was always sort of jealous and curious about my friends who went to church like what did they do like what, what you know what's that like getting up and getting dressed and you know taking a shower and, and putting on some clean clothes and going to church every Sunday like what, what's that experience like and I was always very curious about that so when I got that Bible when I was 10 it was the first Bible I ever had and I pulled over that thing I really kind of read it because I uh, well, maybe this will have the key to why these people get up and do this every Sunday. So then when, we, when I was about 12 or 13 years old, we started going to church. And I look at Mary Hudson now, who's 12, and I think, oh man, she's such a better kid than I was. But I was, <laughs> I was that problem kid at church, you know, who was too cool to, to think that, you know, they needed to sit there and be quiet and follow the rules kind of a thing. And Mary Hudson's very good about that. We're working on Laura Cooper. But she's got a couple of years. But when I was, I remember one time when I was 13, I'd just been baptized. I, I was on fire for the Lord. I thought I was the coolest Christian in the world. And I was in a youth choir. And we went to a little small, you know, 100 person, little small Southern Baptist church. But we did have a choir loft. And we were going to sing a, a song on, on Sunday morning. And they told us just to dress casually. So. Sam being the Nirvana, David Bowie fan, early 90s, I, uh, I dressed casually. I had my blue jeans on, a black t-shirt, and my, my pair of green bands, which I still have. So, true story. Wow. Yeah. My feet stopped growing in ninth grade. Everything's shrinking now. So when I, um, I, I'm walking into the choir loft, and the, the music director, Ms. Bullard, who I love, thank you, Mom, uh, she uh, she stopped me. She said, "Sam, you can't wear that to the church." 
And I said, what? And I realized that I had my big, ridiculous Oakley sunglasses from the early 90s, and I looked like a bee. Like, they're two big black circles. And she was like, you can't, you can't wear this into church. I said, oh, right. So I took off my sunglasses. And she said, no, no, the, the t-shirt too. And I said, what? And on my t-shirt, it, it was one of those uh, black mean people suck t-shirts from the early 90s. You don't remember mean people suck? And I was like, but mean people suck. And she's like, I, I know, Sam, but you can't, you can't wear that into our church. And she said, you're going to have to flip that inside out. And I said, well, Ms. Fuller, come on. And she said, no, that's not okay. So I flipped it inside out. But no, no, before I went on, she said, Sam, who are you? And I said, oh, okay. That was kind of an arresting question. And I never forgot that moment where Ms. Fuller said, Sam, who are you? Because she was also my cousin's grandmother. So, you know, there's some family connection there. So I took off the shirt and flipped it upside down and, and went in. We did a song. It was very good. And everyone loved it. And they wanted to take pictures afterwards. So I snuck off for a minute, reflipped over my t-shirt, put my glasses back on. And there's a picture still to this day. I couldn't find it last night, but it's me sitting in the choir loft with everyone else. And I've got my big bug glasses on and mean people suck t-shirt. And I wanted to stick it to the, to the institution. <clears throat> but that question, who are you, was really, really impactful for me. And I keep thinking about that. So it, it's odd that this passage came up, for me especially. Uh, David Bowie came out with this album in 2014, 2013, called The, the Next Day. And he famously masked over one of his big hits called Heroes back in the late 70s for the cover art of the album. And that on the right is the cover art. And as you know, David Bowie was a big fan of, of reinventing himself over and over again. So you have Ziggy Stardust, and then you have the Thin White Duke, and all these characters that David Bowie plays. And the effect was you never really knew who David Bowie was. So when people said, who are you? It was always sort of a, an enigma. So that was a thought technology I really adopted as a teenager, as a rebellious teenager. I loved doing that. So one day I would be prep, one day I would be grunge. I mean, John and I went to college together, and he, I'm sure, remembers me like one day dressing up with my you know, frat boy preppy stuff, and the next day I'm wearing a, a you know, fish shirt, Grateful Dead shirt with Birkenstocks, because I love trying on those new personas. All that to say, that ties in with what we're talking about. Who are you? First John, oops, First John twenty nine forty two. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, "This is John the Baptist. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." This is he of whom I have said, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here's the Lamb of God. 
The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translates, which translated means teacher, really doesn't, but we'll go with John here. Where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. They came and they saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. Which <coughs> is translated into the anointed one, the Christ. He brought Simon to Jesus, Peter, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas. Which is translated into Peter. So, you'll notice here in this... Uh, Story. It starts with the next day. Right before this, in, in the Gospel of John, we, we get that very famous prologue. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came in, into being through Him. And with Him, not one thing came into being. We get this kind of recreation, right? It's almost like a new Genesis. And it, it goes on for about 18 verses. And then we get. All of a sudden, this, uh, this, this entry of John the Baptist at the beginning of the Gospel of John. And there's an a, a imposition or, or inquisition where a group from Jerusalem has come up to John the Baptist, who's out baptizing people in the, in the wilderness, and says, Who are you? What are you doing here? Are you, are you Elijah? Are you the Messiah? And unlike the other three Gospels, unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, here John, John the Baptist, not John who wrote the Gospel, John the Baptist says, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the Messiah, I'm, I'm the one preparing the way in the wilderness. Which is really interesting, because in the other Gospels, John the Baptist is kind of framed as Elijah. He's, he's the apocalyptic figure who's coming before the Messiah, which is a very old Jewish tradition. So, here in John, John the Baptist takes on this whole other persona. So it's kind of like David Bowie, you know, like one time he's Ziggy Stardust, another time he's the thin white dude, and, and you never really know what the, what the character play is here. So it's interesting that John has his take on John the Baptist. And the, the Pharisees and the, it says the Levites, the, 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 the country preachers here who are approaching John the Baptist say, who are you, what, like, what are you doing out here? And then we get, in our passage here, this, uh, this really cool start the next day in verse 29. Well, then in verse 35, we get, again, the next day. And in total, we get almost six days. So it's just like this recreation of, of Genesis, where you have the seven days at the beginning. So every day is a new day. And people are finding more and more about not just John the Baptist, but also who Jesus is. And by the end, John the Baptist is sort of revealed that this is the new creation through Jesus. So it's a very high Christology. It's a very different kind of a book. And when we read the Gospel of John, we, we really skip over some of that. But I think it's, it's, it's a fascinating point to make. And inside of that creation, here in the Gospel of John, he says... At the very beginning, 
Here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, we're going to use this in communion in a few minutes when we talk about the sin of the world. And when I used to read this as a 15-year-old, or when I used to read this as a 20-year-old, I always thought, oh, the Lamb of God, Jesus is being sacrificed for my sins. And that's not really what this passage is saying. So when we think about who we are, a lot of times we'll say, well, we're sinful, fallen creatures, blah, blah, you know, we use that sort of iconic Christian language to talk about ourselves in a religious context. John the Baptist here isn't talking about each of our individual sins. It's not the sin of me, you know, buying into the system and paying Verizon this much money a month to have self-in service, and that's sinful because Verizon does this with them. I mean, that's something that I need to be forgiven for. <laughs> especially with Verizon. But this is more about community sin, right? Which doesn't work in here. Verizon doesn't work in here. It's like a Faraday cage. Um, maybe that's on purpose. When y'all originally built the building, did you put in like aluminum foil to keep the... That would have been smart. It's like, oh, your cell phone's not working. But if you think about it here, it says, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's not the sins of the world. It's not plural. And it's hamartia in Greek, which means... Kind of, in Greek, there's different words for the concept of sin or, or uh, trespassing, as we translate it sometimes with our Lord's prayer. But this word hamartia, uh, or sin, is a, is a singular thing, and it means the sin of the world. So it's not like you need to be, be forgiven of your sins. It's not an individual thing. Again, you're not that important, <laughs> which we all need to hear from time to time, right? <laughs> You need to dress up, go to church, hear that you're not important, you're not the center of the world, your tweets don't matter. But it's our corporate identity. It's the sin of the world. Which is not some sort of like fallen state, it just means a, a creation that is not fulfilled in the way it should be. So John the Baptist here is given this really huge theological statement that we always skip over. And I love reading this and, and sort of contemplating what that means. It's, it's almost Buddhist in a way, you know. It's kind of this sense of moving towards fulfillment in a way that we couldn't before. And now that we have the Messiah inside of creation, we can fulfill the creation as it should be. So when I think about how that interplays with who I am, and I think about my rebellious 13-year-old self, I always go back to the sense of trying to help creation be fulfilled in my little small insignificant way as much as I can. <coughs> and I'm still answering that question today as you should be. Who are you? What part do you play? Shakespeare asked the same thing, right, at the end of The Tempest. It's this idea of participating in a, in a greater community. And that's what we do here every Sunday morning, and that's why you need to be in church, and that's why you need to be in a community. We're stronger when we're together. We get more done when we work together. Who are you? You're a part of a community. Whether you're watching on Facebook Live or whether you're here with us, you're a part of something. And if you know that, if you acknowledge that, if you see that and hear that, you can do amazing things. 
take that knowledge, take that acknowledgement, and go out and do amazing things. Amen. Amen. Amen.